look at what the dynasty is doing. We're all first generation guys. There's no other holidays. There's no other MJS. There's no other Hammerstones. Nope. We did this all on our own. Working Fans Podcast. Cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. Welcome back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer, Joe, mate, likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at FansWorking. Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. It's the Working Fans Podcast, your number one fan, Dave, AJ, the guy who used to do it, and producer Joe here. Happy Thanksgiving. There you go. AJ, how we doing? Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah, AJ, I know what a big... I love this time of year. I, I love me some holidays. I know you're a big fan as a shoot. We've talked about that behind the curtain a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's talk into some subjects real quick, because we got some stuff going on today. AJ's calling in. Did you see NXT War Games last night? Absolutely did. And what did you think about the women in particular? I felt they really tore down the house. Uh, the women should have been in the main event. They stole the show. I, I don't know why they had them open, to, quite frankly, to be honest with you. Hmm. To me, having them go before the men was a ripoff to the women, and I thought it was a much better war game. I'm going to agree with that. I didn't think the men's war games was necessarily bad. I don't think you're saying that either, but I did think the women were better. I'm guessing because Kevin Owens came out and they wanted to keep that a secret was why they closed. But at the end of the day, a great storyline with Dakota Kai who we saw going heel probably but man she looked vicious in that the other thing I thought that really came out strong too was Rhea Ripley she came off to me like an absolute beast and a star in the making oh absolutely did you see Smackdown I did I thought that. are you going with that crucifix pin she did because I thought that was awesome that's what I'm saying anybody who doesn't think that this young lady is the future or a beast to be reckoned with doesn't get it. I'm going to take a real quick little turn on something here, too, because a little background. I'm not one to get excited about a divas or celebrity females being hot, but shout out to Tony Storm on SmackDown. My God, that's a hot woman, and those shorts were not PG. We're just throwing that out there. That's a shoot. I want to know why, I want to know why the WWE and NXT have gone sour on Tony Storm. Tony Storm is a hell of a worker. She's got a great look, and she might have Far none the best ass in the business. Oh, that ass. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to say, let's wait to see how Survivor Series goes.
happens tonight because she's part of that team and maybe it was a miscommunication where she wasn't announced but yeah I didn't like the fact that Tony just randomly showed up I felt there should have been more of a story to that exactly how do you have the first ever UK women's champion show up on your card and you don't even mention it right also first class all-star ass too in the business all right i said enough about tony's ass we're gonna move on uh and now you sound like jimmy jimmy evans shout out to jimmy evans one of our number fans number one fan treating us every day hashtag day one hashtag day one where you at jimmy all right First of all, uh, I want to be the first one to say it. Number one fan, in my opinion, Randy Osgood. Shout out to Randy Osgood. Randy would win the Battle Royal. Here's something I want to talk about, too, about last night. You saw the show. Britt Baker showed up. Do you think that was an accident? I have a hard time believing that the camera crew accidentally filmed Britt Baker. WWE's pretty on top with production. Other thing is, does it even matter? Triple H sent down a uh, tweet today. I don't know if you saw it or not. I did. apologizing to Britt Baker and saying that it was non-intentional that he feels bad not because of getting her on there because she's very talented but getting her on camera because he doesn't want to put any kind of negativity on her when it comes to her current employer. Yeah. He actually apologized for that. And I don't think Triple H is the kind of person that would do anything if something like that happened to one of his people. But he probably knows that Vince is, and that's why he's probably throwing that out there, just to make sure that she's okay, is my guess. Plus, he doesn't want to piss off Adam Cole, which actually leads me to what I was going to talk about. The other thing I want to talk about, is there a hotter guy in wrestling right now? And I don't mean that like Tony Storm's ass, but I mean like in terms of performances and delivering than Adam Cole. First of all, Adam Cole, good-looking man. Damn right. Second of all, before we go on to Adam Cole, I just want to say one more thing. Yeah. Britt Baker's not actually does not actually belong in NXT with the women. She has not reached that level yet, and she is not actually as good as most of the women wrestling in NXT. So let me throw that out there first. Right? No, uh, no arguments. Not, that might that might be a little stiff and a little unpopular. But if you got a problem with it, text us, tweet us, let us know what, how you feel, and then you can go fuck off. Yeah. Tag Britt Baker, back baby. Back to back to Adam Cole, who's much much better than his girlfriend, wife, fiance, whatever she is. He is actually an extremely talented performer. He might be the best on NXT right now. The only person who might be better is obviously adding Finn Balor to the uh, lineup or maybe Tommaso Ciampa. I could agree with that. I just think... Given the um, opportunities the last few weeks, nobody's hit the ball out of the park faster and stronger than Adam Cole. Adam Cole to me. Oh, no. Yeah. Dave, you'll you'll love this because I know you're a big baseball guy. 100%. You can probably tell by my delivery. Um, Yeah, if he was on my baseball team right now, he'd be batting cleanup. 100%. (laughs) <laughs> those, of you who know baseball, those of you who actually like sports and know baseball will know what I mean by that. He's cleaning up. Tweet us and somebody tweet us and let Dave know. He's a big star. <laughs> Say no more. Tony Storm's ass, Adam Cole. I would put them both over. All right. Oh, so you're not even into baseball at all, right? A little bit. I know what he's talking about. Oh, okay. I was like, shit. Mm. This this podcast this week might not be for children. (laughs) If your kids are listening, we apologize, but shame on you. I will say this, too. I want to back up uh, Britt Baker one more time and not like Tony Storm's ass back up. But Britt Baker, is this... 
I mean, no matter what, isn't this really just good water cooler talk for both brands? Like, people are going to be talking about AEW and NXT. And no harm was really done. If anything, just her being on TV just creates some discussion, right? It is absolutely great for both organizations. Mm-hmm. If you get to a point like this, remember a few months back at SummerSlam when the SummerSlam was the last year's Survivor Series. One of the two, when, uh, what's his name, Enzo showed up. Right, right, right. That was last year's Survivor Series. There you go. So, while we're not big Enzo and Cass fans, even though I hope they know both doing well with their careers and have straightened out, I know it appears that they have, but I hope, I hope luckily that they have. That little piece of getting on camera like that is absolutely genius. And whether it's meant to be intentional or not, any time you can get your face on TV and people recognize you and it causes that kind of stir. And let's face it, the fact that people recognized her last night in that little shot that she was on the camera is something to be held. Absolutely. And Mara was quick to point it out, too, which is one of the reasons why I don't think that was probably a mistake. I think you did it because, quite frankly, if you ignored it, I think it becomes even a bigger issue. Well, that was Triple H's point, so fair play. Yeah. I want to say that... Fair play wasn't there. I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, this is kind of random. I want to talk about this a little bit because a lot of podcasts and a lot of news sites didn't pick this up. But uh, we talked about Tony Schiavone's birthday a couple weeks ago at StarCast, and there was a fight between Excalibur and Jimmy Havoc. Now that got picked up. But there was another thing that got picked up, didn't get picked up, that happened that weekend. Apparently, Mark Madden was uh, roasting people. He roasted Tony Khan, referred to him as a money mark, and said, Tony, how many EVPs you got in that company anyway? And Tony got up and walked away and didn't come back. What do you think about that? Wow. Yeah. See, I picked that up from the Keeping It 100 podcast. But if you remember a few weeks ago, I want to say Tony had said something about a lot of controversial people in his business. Mark Madden will probably not be working back with any wrestling shows on TNT anytime soon. Something along those lines. Conrad said, yeah, I can probably confirm that. And then I didn't think anything of that, but then on Keeping It 100, Disco and Conan were talking about it. And the only reason why they found out about it was because I guess everybody that was at that party worked for Tony, so nobody was stooging it off, except Eric Bischoff, who doesn't work for anybody and didn't give a shit. And that's how they found out. So here's one of the things I want to know. A, Mark Madden still alive. <laughs> yeah. B, who that invests in wrestling isn't a money mark. Right, right. I see what you're saying. You don't invest. You don't invest in wrestling because you don't because you don't love the product. You even Ted Turner back in the day, he invested in wrestling because he was a fan first. Yes, it was a solid investment as far as he was concerned, but he was a fan first. You don't become a wrestling promoter without loving the business and understanding it unless you inherit it. Fuck Mark that. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) To be fair, though, it was somewhat of a roast. So maybe it just hit a source. I don't know. Tony might not have been there to get roasted to. It also was a birthday party, so who knows? No, I think Conrad advertised it as a roast. Oh, a low-key roast. Yeah. Yes. Well, well, now here's here's the second part of what I was going to say. While I say fuck Mark Madden because that's not really a good joke, it's a roast. Don't be oversensitive, Tony Khan. <laughs> not, not everybody's going to blow smoke up your ass in wrestling. I appreciate the fact that you're going to blow that money. The majority of people are going to. But you can't be that oversensitive. 
stick around and be a man. Yeah, it reminds me of a good line I heard. Phone at him <laughs> it reminds me of a good line I heard. Uh, I want to say it was the Keep It In 100 podcast. They were talking about how wrestlers today are so sensitive. And I think it might have been Flip Gordon who had got on Twitter. This might have been about a year ago. Talking about, you fans are horrible. You're going to be the reason why a wrestler kills himself. And uh, they were talking about, could you imagine Stan Hansen back in the day being upset going on Twitter crying because somebody called him a fat bitch or something? One, you probably would have got a cowbell wrapped around your head. And two, it's just, it ain't going to happen. It was just a different era. Well, I think that's one of the problems that we have right now in wrestling in general. Look at freaking Mr. Burn It Down himself, Seth Rollins, and how oversensitive he is every time the wind fucking blows. And all of a sudden, he's got to attack everybody on Twitter. Did you hear what CM Punk said to about Seth Rollins on backstage on Tuesday night? Told him to stay off Twitter. Just get off it. You're not good at it. Take a break. Not only that, but at the end of it, he actually managed to slip his name in again during his promo. And it took another shot at him at the end there. I didn't hear that. Yeah, I, I know you don't. You tend to not listen to the last 10 minutes of it. But he, um, he was joking around and he was talking to find a negative tweet. So CM Punk was shooting back at the fan who had put a negative tweet in. And uh, speaking of irrelevant, so the fan had said, oh, CM Punk's coming back to not wrestle, but just talk on Fox Cat. Uh, who cares? And so he took a shot at um, Arnold and said, speaking of who cares, where the hell's your career been? Hmm. And what's it like being the second most, second most influential person in your relationship and your business? Seth Rollins. I mean, Tom Arnold. <laughs> I actually think I did catch something about that. Speaking of Twitter, we're gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna throw this out there because I forgot about this. Twitter, Tony Khan, Randy Orton all made a bit of news this week. I believe Tony was referred to as Jacksonville Dixie. There was a mention. Tony, I think, started this all playfully, but he did start this all by uh, somebody had said something about something being wrong. Actually, CM Punk. Oh, Punk, CM Punk tagged him. The original tweet. Yes. Yes, CM Punk had sent out a tweet, and he was talking about being back, but not being back necessarily to wrestle, and he was talking about changing the culture, and he attached Vince McMahon, Triple H, AEW, WWE, Tony Khan, and apparently Tony Khan didn't take too well to being attached to that. Right, he said something, he made some joke about a Saudi uh, air flight. And then Randy said something about glass houses and had a thing about his father, which apparently was irrelevant. Tony brought up that Randy used the N-word on Twitch. Then Brandy Rhodes had to step in and tweeted out something about that was a TKO over, which Charlotte, I guess, rolled her eyes at. And then Randy referred to him as Jacksonville Dixie. If I want to talk business, I'd talk to your dad. Maybe everybody's just got to chill out on Twitter. It's not that big a deal, folks. Nobody cares. <laughs> I think everything that goes out on Twitter is the most important thing that can be said. <laughs> So I think it's very it's very important to take it seriously. Right, like our fans, Jimmy Evans. <laughs> Shout out to Jimmy Evans again. Hey, all right. I know we have to wrap this up soon. We are taping this the night of Survivor Series, and it's very important that we focus in and watch this tremendous show that the WWE will be putting on, because much like everything's correct on Twitter, we both know that the WWE never fucks up a pay-per-view. <laughs> hey, actually, I'm going to say this. Real quick, this is one of the pay-per-views I've been looking forward to WWE's put out in recent memory, and it's because of the NXT involvement. So, 
I don't, they'll probably fuck it up, but I'm, I'm hoping this actually, I, I, this is the most interested I've been in a WWE pay-per-view in a while. Well, I'll be honest with you, to me, this is a more scary pay-per-view because normally if they screw up, it doesn't really hurt. Mm. Where this time, if they don't play it right, they could not only do the damage that they've been doing to Raw and SmackDown, but they could actually damage their best product, which is NXT right now. So they could all around completely fuck up everything tonight. Before we get out of here, just because I'm just thinking about this now, I'm going to throw a quick fantasy booker thing and we're going to wrap this up. I'd like to see oh, this. Please. Oh yeah, I, I, hot take, brother. Tony Storm's ass. Hold on a second. On a fantasy booking note, I'm taking producer Joe over the nachos at Chili's. <laughs> okay. Nice. All right. So here's the deal. I would like to see Rey Mysterio walk out as champ tonight. I think it'd be a huge upset. No, <laughs> no one see it coming. I know you're a fan. That's not where I'm going with this. I like to see them kind of separate the brands after this. But before they do that. I'd like to see Adam Cole maybe go up to Mysterio, an injured Mysterio, and say, hey, I, why don't we see who the better champion is? And then I'd like to see Cole walk away the next night on Raw with the WWE title. And so you don't really need to throw all these Raw and SmackDown guys on NXT, but if you have the WWE and NXT champion on the same show, I think that puts more importance on NXT. That's just a thought. Except for one problem. They've set precedent with this with with this before with what was it? What's your name there? Page. If you win the WWE title and you have an NXT title, you end up having to drop the NXT belt. Well, they didn't do that with Owens. I want to say Owens won the US title. Well, I could be wrong about that. He showed up with the NXT yeah, belt. That's, yeah, that, yeah, that's a secondary title. They can make up the rules, man. We'll see what happens. Anyway. No, no, the WWE follows the book line by line, sir. We got to get going. We got, Joe's got food in the oven. We got to get the hell out of here. AJ, thanks for calling in. Working Fans Podcast. We're number one. Check Happy us out. Happy Thanksgiving again. Happy Thanksgiving, motherfuckers. Hey, I, I want to tell you, I'm thankful for you two guys when it comes to Thanksgiving. Thank you for all you do. And Joe, please travel safe on your way to your food. <laughs> oh, I will. Have a good one, bud. Consumers, this is Richard Holiday, the most marketable man in wrestling and the air pod god. And you are listening to the Consumers Working Podcast. <laughs> Just kidding. It's the Working Fans Podcast. Welcome to the Working Fans Podcast. This is Dave. I'm here with producer Joe. And today we have, some would call him the AirPod God, one of the best wrestlers going out there right now, the most marketable man, Richard Holiday. Richard, thank you for not making us go through your father slash lawyer for uh, this interview. Appreciate that. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. I, I try not to, um, I, I try not to put too much on his desk. You know, I, I ask a lot of my lawyer slash my father, and uh, I figured I could handle this one. Awesome, man. You can correct me on this if I'm wrong. You broke into business around 2015? Yeah, yeah, 2015 sounds accurate. I was trained by Pretty Paul Rome. Awesome. How was that? How was working with Paul and uh, just kind of breaking in? I mean, it was excellent. I mean, I, I actually enjoyed my training with, with Roma. Uh, he's one of the guys that I feel is one of the better trainers in the world to kind of get you going. You know, there's a lot of great schools out there. And I don't really take credit away from, from other schools, but I, I know what Paul has done for me and the success that I've had uh, because of it. So obviously I credit a lot of my success to, to Roma in, in Paradise Nine Professional Wrestling. Was there any particular advice that he ever gave you that maybe still sticks with you today? Absolutely. He told me to be true to myself and, and do what I do best. And I don't 
try to be anything other than what I am. And that's the best advice that he could have possibly given me because, you know, Paul was who he was and he stuck to that. And that's what I try to do as well is just to stick to what I do. There's so many different things out there and people try to get noticed by doing this and think that they're going to, you know, become a sensation by doing this. But I'm more of a stay the course, understand what I am, longevity kind of guy and it's, it's working out for me so far. And it's funny because sometimes like advice like that can be so simple, but then when you're out there doing it, you realize that in life being yourself is often the best way to go and you come off more authentic that way. Without a doubt. I mean, so many people just want to do, you know, things that are out of their realm or things that they're not going to exceed it. And you know, I'm in this business to be successful and I know where my bread's buttered and I know where I'm tailored to be. So I stick to that. And that's the best advice. If I'm going to give advice to anybody, it'd be that. You know, don't don't try and be anything than, than what you're not. And that goes for people who are, you know, who are getting into the business that maybe you shouldn't get into it. You know, I mean, it, it's not for everybody. This isn't just something that anybody can just waltz into, in my opinion, at least. Besides Paul, has there anybody else who's maybe helped you along the way right now? Yeah. I mean, Court Bauer is somebody who's, who's helped me a great deal ever since my time in MLW, and that's continuing. And there's, there's been people along the way. Mario Mancini was one of my trainers as well. He's actually the, the first person to ever teach me anything about wrestling. So I have to give a lot of credit to him. Early on in my career, a gentleman by the name of Paul Perez and Steve Tracy, or Steve Tracy only experienced as I had professional wrestling. So, you know, he was very instrumental in, in the beginning. And, and I mean, those four in the very beginning, Paul, Roma, Paul Perez, Mario Mancini, and Steve Tracy. I give a lot of credit to those four. And then uh, at this half of my career, it's, you know, someone like Corp, you know, who's, uh, who's giving me a lot of guidance. I've seen you in MLW. Actually, uh, we're from the Northeast. We're from Connecticut, too. And one of the uh, first promotions I saw you in was uh, XWA in Rhode Island. I believe Eric yeah. Bischoff was the general manager for the night. And I've got a chance to see you on Beyond Wrestling as well. You were doing some wrestling and commentary for them. What are some of the other promotions? Is there anything else maybe I missed or some of the other stuff you've worked around here? Well, in the New England area, you know, one of a couple of the promotions that I, you know, more or less cut my teeth in would be uh, Paradise Alley Pro Wrestling in Connecticut. XWA in Rhode Island, top world promotions in, in Massachusetts. And then, you know, as you... As you, you know, get further in the business, then, you know, you start to work in different places and other places. It's not that you leave them behind or, or that you advance from them. It's just that maybe, maybe your time there has passed. And, you know, chaotic wrestling is a mainstay in New England. And then, you know, there, there, there's been others, you know, that have popped up or you know, maybe not have lasted as long. But, you know, Beyond Wrestling is obviously has a very prominent role, not only in the Northeast, but in, in, in the country. But there's a lot, man. I mean, New England wrestling is hot. You know, there, there's so many different avenues that you can become successful and, and get your name out there because within New England. Absolutely. And, you know, now you've transitioned to MLW and you're doing great in there. How did that come about? How did you link up to MLW? Well, they, you know, had their, you know, inaugural show down in Orlando in, I don't know if it was late or, or early 2018. They came back, right? And they're mainly an Orlando promotion. And I had some talks with them while they were still based out of Orlando. And then they said, hey, you know what? We're actually coming to New York. That might be a better opportunity for us to link up. So they came to New York, the Melrose Ballroom in Queens. And, you know, I went there thinking that I was just originally going to be uh, a part of the Battle Riot, which is a, uh, a mainstay match 
within MLW. You know, it's kind of like MLW's version of the Royal Rumble, if you want yep. to put it that way. I thought I was just going to be part of that, which I was, you know, I was not happy with, but I was content with it. You know, it was an opportunity to be seen on national television uh, by a major company. And then, uh, I don't know, it must have just been something about the way that I presented myself to them. They ended up, I ended up having a match against Fred Yehi in, in the opening match, uh, which eventually didn't make TV. So my singles debut was actually against Fred Yehi in July of, I want to say, maybe 2018. Yes, I believe so. My timeline's correct, honestly, I can't even remember. And then they brought me back, I, I, and it, when they came back to New York in October of that year, and I faced Joey Ryan, and then a couple weeks after that, they offered me a contract. And, and I signed with them because I felt like that was the best place for me to become the best version of myself and to prosper. And I, I, I couldn't be happier with my decision. I was actually at Battle Riot too, and I was in that front, like kind of front row area where they sat you guys when they had the attack with Teddy Hart. And it was just cool to see a guy that we had seen on XWA and beyond finally get this major role with a faction. And you guys have been on fire with the Dynasty, especially the vignettes you've done with the lifestyles of the rich and dynastic. Yeah, I mean, I mean. I might be biased here, gentlemen. I might be a little bit biased, but are those not the best segments on television currently? Man, they are pretty good. I got to give you guys credit. Like, I laugh out loud. I love them. They're awesome. I didn't expect the gift train to pop me the like it would. Train. I'll be sitting at work just thinking, chugga, 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 chugga. <laughs> and it's it's some of the best entertainment out there. It really is, yeah. And things just happen so organically when we do... When, when all three of us t- are together, you know, I, I think originally on paper, people might have been like, I don't know how these three are going to really coexist together. You know, three alpha males, three big egos. How are they possibly going to coexist? Is it going to be oil and water? And I think we just completely, you know, put, put a fire extinguisher onto those criticisms, those, you know, premeditated criticisms of thinking that it's going to be like that. And it's just not. It's just the best chemistry that I've, I've had in wrestling personally. And I think Max and, and Hammer kind of feel the same way. It's when we're all together, it's just like everything clicks. It's funny, man. When I first started watching you guys, I thought you and Max clicked really good right away. But then I thought Hammerstone was going to eventually probably part from you guys. Like he had almost a different demeanor. But it's like almost you guys have evolved, like in like it, it, everything you do, you seem closer, and it kind of comes off like on the skits. I think a little bit better too, because especially Hammerstone seems like he's added some comedic stuff to his character too, which has really been like it, it's it's still the show a few times in some of that stuff. Yeah, Hammer's Hammer's just incredible. I mean, talk about a guy who's just the complete total package. I mean, for a guy like him, who's one of the best wrestlers in the world, who looks the way that he does. And for him to be able to get on screen and still make you laugh, wow. You know, what a testament to the, to the, to the performer that he is and the professional that he is. I can't say enough good things about him. But I think all of us just came together and we're just like, we're going to make this work. We're going to make this the best thing on TV. And nobody's going to be able to touch us. And I think when the dynasty is on TV, people listen. And they, and, and they make sure to watch. And they go out of their way to watch Dynasty segments. When we're in the ring, they go out of their way to watch our the Dynasty matches. And it's continuing to grow. We're still adding layers. We're still, you know, peeling back the onion. It, it's, I can't say enough things about the Dynasty. Yeah, IMJF, he's obviously doing double duty right now with AEW and MLW. 
is that factor into any like programs or how you guys work things? Is it is it great? Is it you know just kind of there? Or is it, does it play a part at all? Well, you know, Max is Max is one of the best you know performers in the world today, and he can handle that burden. I can't even say burden. He can handle that responsibility of being on Major League Wrestling and being in AEW. And I always say this: he's excellent at. I'm, I'm very big on, on the phrase being where your feet are. And what that means is being fully invested into where you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he has a, a really great ability to be where his feet are. When he's with MLW, he's fully focused on that. And he does his absolute best in the confines of MLW. And then he goes to AEW, and he does just as well. So, you know, he's a total package. And that's why he's in the position that he's in. Yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense, too, because, like... He's definitely not phoning in anything anywhere he goes. You guys are on top of it. You just had the MLW uh, pay-per-view a couple weekends ago, Super Fight. How exciting was that? You're working with you know second-generation wrestlers with the Von Erics, MLW's first pay-per-view, uh, third-generation with Von Erics, excuse me. How was that? That must have been very exciting. Well, think about this for a second. This was MLW's first pay-per-view, and who were the first people that you see? The first people that you see on, on MLW pay-per-view is Max and myself. That's it. You can never, ever take that away from us. Win, lose, or draw, we were the first piece. Opened up that pay-per-view, we were the first people that you saw. And that was the test of time. And I think that was done for a reason. And then in terms of the match, yeah, I mean, it was. It, it, it's always interesting to get in there with, with these second and third generation guys. But I always say, you know, it's... Look at what the dynasty is doing. We're all first generation guys. There's no other holidays. There's no other MJS. There's no other Hammerstones. Nope. We did this all on our own. Um, and I'm not saying that these guys got in the position because of their fathers. I'm not. All I'm saying is that we're first generation guys. And we're in the spots that we are. And uh, I don't know. To me, that just seems a bit more impressive. And MLW has been almost a company of factions in which the dynasty is quickly moved to the top. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's uh, there's time for unit, there's injustice. There might be another one that I'm forgetting about. God, it seems like Tom Lawler and, and the Von Erics are, are their own little faction at this point. Yeah, the hearts too, did we say that too? The no. Yeah. I was gonna bring up, they've had a good run against the Hearts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I tried to erase them from my mind, to be honest with you. Seven months of the Heart Foundation is, is more than I can handle. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's MLW is kind of predicated on that, and you know we do a lot of good business that way. I don't even know, even know if that was done by design, but it just kind of happened that way. I'd like to think it was organically done that way. Yeah, you got a real interesting mix in that company between shooters, between luchadors, between, you know, the the family names. And then you guys, just like I said, are kind of like, to me, like the classic arrogant heels kind of like right at the top of it all. Well, that's why that's why the the show is called Fusion, because it's a fusion of so many different styles. So you can you can come into MLW and really not know what to expect, especially if you, if you attend us live. Because think about it, going from the dynamic that is the dynasty and what we bring to the table, and then the next match could be, you know, two of the best luchadors in the world. Then the next match can be, you know, Timothy Thatcher and Davey Boy Smith. And it's just a complete fusion of all these different styles that wrestling fans and consumers 
are gravitating towards because they, they want all these different styles and maybe one company only gives them this and another company only gives them that. Absolutely. Give them a buffet, I think I heard someone say before. Besides Court Bauer, is there anybody else behind the scenes at MLW that you've noticed that works really hard and is maybe influential that we maybe we don't see? Oh, man. I mean, the whole team is just absolutely, you know, incredible. I mean, Alex Greenfield was there for a while and he was, you know, he was really a tremendous asset. And then Sean O'Hare backstage is, is phenomenal. Savio Vega, hmm. you know, you can't say enough good things hmm. about him. And then the whole locker room pushes each other to be better. Everybody in that locker room wants to be the guy. They want to have that top spot. They want to have the gold. It's just an environment of winners and an environment of people who are striving to be successful. And that breeds success and that makes other people want to be better. Because you know what? I go out there and when I have the microphone in my hand, I, I, I honestly dare somebody to be better on the microphone than me. Go ahead. Try your, try your absolute hardest. And if you are, then kudos to you. And I think other people, you know, they go in there and they want to have the best match of the night. And it's like, follow that. And it just seems like that's kind of the environment that everybody has or that, that we have been accustomed to at MLW. We do the whole, the whole team at MLW is, uh, is just top to bottom, world class. Well, you know, it's funny listening to you. I can tell you're obviously a very competitive person. That's awesome. Do you have a background in sports uh, or anything prior to wrestling? Yeah, I played uh, college football. I played at the University of New Haven, which was a, uh, a Division II school. We were actually uh, top five in the country in Division II when I played there, at least. Yeah, so I, I mean, I played football my entire life. I played sports my entire life, but football was my bread and butter. And then I, I kind of just stopped that to my sophomore year. I was like, you know what? Football's not for me. It's, yeah, I need to transition into pro wrestling. So that's around that time in my life is when I made the transition. You know, uh, we usually kick this interview off. I never even asked you. Like, so you were obviously into wrestling for a while. What What was your first memories? What got you really interested in wrestling? First memories would have to be going to the old New Haven Coliseum. Uh, if you guys are from Connecticut, you guys must know that. Or at least oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so going to the old Coliseum with my father. And, and I mean, the classic thing, you know, I went, I went to the arena with my father and I saw and I wanted to do it, you know. If, if there's not one wrestler out there who hasn't had that story, I'd be super surprised. <laughs> but I, I would say, yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the first ever uh, SmackDown was at New Haven. Yeah, and, uh, I think you're right. It was. So I th- maybe that might have been one of my first memories. That was like 1998 mm. or nine. I don't even remember when it was. I obviously had, had been into wrestling maybe a, a little bit before that, but got my memory such shot. I would say those, those, that's my earliest memories, you know, watching Monday Night Raw. My brother was super into it. My father and all watch it together. So, you know, very basic answers to those questions, you know, the early memories for that. Who were some of your early favorite wrestlers that you saw? You'd probably be very surprised because it has zero impact on how I perform in the ring today. But my, my two favorite wrestlers growing up were Kane and The Undertaker. Okay. Oh. I was always drawn to more of the storytelling elements of professional wrestling more so than the um, wrestling aspect of it and nobody did it better than Kane and the Undertaker it was just a, a, an unbelievable story and I kind of use the word unbelievable like in its, in its literal sense right and they still made it the best thing on TV you know what I mean absolutely like, like those two were just incredible um, you know, everybody growing up, you know, Rock walks in, 
you know, things like that. But for me, it was always candy on the paper. Talking to you, you definitely sound very intelligent. And from what I've saw, you got a bachelor's degree in marketing from the University of New Haven. I was wondering what advice you could give an up-and-coming podcast that's learning to market ourselves. Ah, interesting question. I do have a bachelor's degree in marketing. And I would say that the best thing to do is content that is relatable is the best way to get any consumer or, or any way to transition a fan into a consumer. I always say that, you know, fans are just are just consumers who haven't paid money yet or paid attention yet. Because I can be a fan of something, right? I can be a fan of the New York Giants. But until I actually go to a game and pay, to pay money for a ticket, uh, I'm not a consumer of the New York Giants. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense, yeah. So if somebody can say, oh, yeah, I like, I like pro wrestling. Have you ever been to a show? No. Okay, then you're just a fan. You're not a consumer. I need to make you a consumer, mm-hmm. right? So consumers are people who put money into the market, but that's a different story. I would say in terms of a podcast, it would be be on all social media platforms and release content that is relatable to the consumers and the demographics that you want to draw in. There's one million and five podcasts out there. You need to be the one that people want to listen to. Have good guests on, like myself. I think that is a good start. Maybe reach out to Hammerstone or Max. Just get the whole dynasty on there. That would be an excellent way to get your podcast off, off the ground. Ooh, those would definitely be dream guests. I'm almost a little scared to contact Max myself because I feel like he would just cut a promo on us for the whole time, which would still be amazing. Now, he more than likely would. Max is, uh, is that kind of guy. <laughs> You're having a hell of a career. Things are going great. Thanksgiving's around the corner. We're doing kind of a little holiday theme here. Is there anything you're uh, thankful for you want to talk about? What am I thankful for? I am thankful for MLW for giving me the platform to tell all the consumers throughout the world why I am the most marketable man in wrestling, the consumer's champion, the AirPod God, and a promoter's best friend. I'm thankful for my, uh, my background in marketing for allowing me to understand this business and kind of look at it from a, from a more articulate way and a more precise way. And I'm thankful for my dynasty bros, Hammerstone and Max, because they're my best buds in the business and I love them. Awesome, man. Is there uh, anything you want to promote before we head out? Yeah, I mean, if you're a New England guy, Resolution 19 is, is this Sunday for XWA. They always put on a world-class show every single year. Breaking point for Chaotic is this, is this Friday night, going one-on-one with Chase Del Monte. And, of course, December 5th, MLW TV tapings at the Melrose Ballroom in Queens, New York. That is going to be an incredible show. And, of course, follow me. On Twitter and Instagram at Most Marketable. <laughs> All right, Richard, thank you so much, man. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. This is Dave from the Working Fans Podcast. And besides being thankful for my friends, family, and the people closest to me, I'm thankful for this podcast this year. Getting to contribute and do anything in the wrestling business at all, even on the slightest level, has been very rewarding. Getting to meet some people that I watched on TV and having these talks with them, and doing this with two good friends is something I wasn't expecting to be as rewarding as it has been. But it has been, and I'm super thankful for it. Most of all, can't wait to see what the future holds. 
and how this is going to play out and keep going. And uh, that's my thanks for this year. Hope you guys keep listening to us, and I hope you keep checking us out. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Jason Agnew from Sunday Night's Main Event, and you are listening to the Working Fans Podcast. We're going to be doing a Thanksgiving-type theme episode. Is there anything you're thankful for, and you're or just thankful in general? I'm going to keep this wrestling-oriented. Okay. I'd like to I'd like to say a big thank you to, uh, to Tony Khan and Cody Rhodes, yeah. because wrestling got interesting this year, and they're the ones who brought it back to an interesting level. This is Roy Lusher, and you're listening to the Working Band Podcast. Now, Roy, we've kind of been doing holiday episodes for Halloween. We did some horror stories for Thanksgiving. We're doing what people are thankful for. What are you both thankful for in the business and then just in life in general? Thankful to be in in an era where everything is just way so accessible. You know, it, it really wasn't that long ago. It was, you know, 20, 25 years ago where if you wanted to see something wrestling wise, you know, there were there was a handful of people out there that sold tapes and traded tapes and stuff like that, and you would order a tape, and you know, hopefully you you get the right tape trader because there's some out there that you know it takes six to eight weeks to get their tapes to you. <laughs> Not saying any names, but uh, oh, Langhorn, Pennsylvania, <laughs> and you know, you, you, you luckily you'd get it and you know check it out and. The quality was great, and you know, nowadays you just go on Google or Bing or whatever and put in the event you're looking for, the wrestler you're looking for, or go to YouTube and do the search thing, and you know, there's hundreds of thousands of videos right there at your beck and call, and it never used to be so easy. Not just with YouTube, by the way, because New Japan does a great job with their streaming service. I sure as hell ain't get a knock to WWE Network because they really do a great job with uploading a lot of stuff. I could, you know, sit here and talk about the music all day long, but you know, in all fairness, you know, that's not, it's not just them. Everyone unfortunately has to abide by that stuff. But you know, while watching the stuff on there, the old primetime wrestlings and house shows and the gems, you know, that they pulled all of us that grew up watching or. That last battle of Atlanta, that right there was probably the pinnacle of that hidden gems thing was that they ended up finding the last battle of Atlanta and putting it up. And that was just like, that was like from my childhood. I remember, you know, getting the magazines at the grocery store. My mom would go grocery shopping once a week and leave me in the magazine department. And I would just like read magazines and bring them home and read them over and over again and stuff. And just being in an era where everything is just so accessible and, you know, hopefully over time it, it, it gets even easier than that. You know, I, I don't see how I could, but, you know, that that's as, as far as wrestling goes. That's honestly what I'm, I'm most thankful for, is just how easily accessible everything is. Personally, my, my family. I got an amazing son who is about to graduate school, who is signed up for the Air Force. Daddy starts in July. I got a beautiful wife that I've known for 32 years, something like that, <laughs> who, you know, invited me up here by Sacramento into Folsom about eight years ago and, you know, completely changed my life. And, you know, I got my health. I'm, you know, doing great. I have a company where I deliver medical supplies to patients and sick people in need and, you know, get to help out people and keep them living every day. And, you know, I'm just 
I, I have no complaints in life right now. That's amazing. And from what I've seen from your Facebook, I mean, your wife really is like a good friend to you. Both her and your mother-in-law will go to shows with you, and I've seen them with multiple wrestlers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my, yeah, my mother-in-law, she attends the events as well. I still say, like, <laughs> the funniest thing is, and I, I know she's like, I'll listen to the show, uh, we're, we're uh, making a calendar for Christmas for her with all the wrestlers that she has met. So there's a photo with her with uh, Pentagon doing the Sarah Mieto thing. There's a photo with her and La Parka, like, dancing together. <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of, like, you know, photos and stuff. There's a family photo that's hanging up on, up on our wall with my son, my wife, my mother-in-law, me and Ray Mysterio that we took together from a professional photographer took it for us in Stockton a couple years ago so yeah that's pretty wild because even my mom went down to Tijuana just for a vacation and the people she stayed with took her to a crash show and she took a picture with LA Park now me knowing Park knowing that this guy will go into the audience fuck some people up it's just funny that he's still there also to take pictures with ladies that are just happy to meet him. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yo, this is number one, John Silver. I'm talking about the meat man. I'm talking about that big boy. And of course, you know I'm talking about the raw dog. And you're listening to the Working Fan Podcast. We kind of been doing like a holiday theme stuff coming up. Thanksgiving around the corner. Is there anything uh, you're most thankful for, whether it's this year or anything in general? I mean, I'm definitely thankful for some of the opportunities I've gotten recently. Thankful for, obviously, people that have supported me, I'm a fan, and also being healthy. Healthy is definitely a big thing. I haven't really had so many big injuries, knock on wood. Just staying healthy, staying fit, support from all the fans, and just being, being able to wrestle, basically. Main things I'm thankful for. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. First and foremost, I want to give thanks for my friends and family this year, and especially any year. Mom, Dad, and my brother Matt, they really come through for me, and I wouldn't be where I am without them. As far as friends, Scott Michael, Sheaf and Don from the Burnt Basement, Jesse Unique and Jackson up in New Hampshire, Eric Jess, Mackenzie and Elijah down here in Lisbon, Josh Jonah, and I'll even throw in Abby. Just people that really, these are my inner circle, my closest people, the ones that I talk to every day. And they just really, they've given me the confidence to be able to put out this podcast and I'm very grateful for that. Next up, I'm thankful for this podcast. Just being able to talk wrestling with friends and be able to create something out of nothing has been a fun and interesting experience. None of us on this show are perfect, but somehow we work amazingly as a team and kind of pick up where the other leaves off. I'm also super thankful for the guests we've gotten. Bob Cook, Doug Markham, Jordan Garber, Matt Coon, Jay Freddy, John Silver, Roy Lusher, Richard Holiday, Al Snow. And I'm even going to give you some breaking news. We got Barry Horowitz coming up on an episode. And it's just been, like I said, a really fun experience. Now, when we were putting this podcast together... We sent out some demo episodes to some people for some feedback, and I wanted to take a moment just to thank them because when we were nothing, they listened to us and gave us feedback to help us kind of mold what you hear today. 
and this is really the only time I'm going to be using government names, but Andy Walsh, a kid I've known forever, he gave us some of the most, I would say, insightful feedback. Steve and Jeff from Frito, don't know you guys, but I got a lot of feedback, and a lot of what you said really helped what we have accomplished here. Zach and Jake St. John, once again, not familiar with you guys, but I've heard about you through, I used to watch pay-per-views at the Lucases, and I'd always hear these names come up. Also, shout out to Jay Lucas, never heard the show, but just a good friend. Holly Bourne, I know, we had a female give us feedback, and that was valuable. Joe Rogowski from Norwich, another one, big wrestling fan, just happy to hear what we were putting out. Andy Kaneko and the family from Preston, another guy I've known for a while and just gave me interesting feedback and gave us a place to start working from. And obviously my brother Matt, somebody who I didn't think listened for a little bit and then gave the most valuable feedback and kind of has affected where the current direction of the show has gone, so I can't say enough about that. Now, I'm sorry if I forgot to thank anyone, but it's been a busy week between working, which I guess I got to be thankful for my job at Stop and Shop, running a seafood department, gives me the security to be able to be here and do this and not have to worry about how are we going to make this work. Shout out to Matt McNichol for getting me that second job that eventually I kind of put to the side because the scheduling was too much and I had this popping off. I'm going to end on a high note. I am very thankful that the girl that lived in a sober house passed on me. Fellas, I'm not as addictive as cocaine, but I hope this podcast is. Now, I've talked for long enough now. I think it's time to sit back and get stuffed on food, not like something on Jimmy Evans' timeline. And guys, let's just have a... Happy Thanksgiving and continue to talk wrestling. Hello, everybody. It's former WWE superstar Al Snow, and you're listening to the Working Fan Podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Working Fans Podcast. This is Dave with AJ, and we have a true legend today, a guy who's competed in WWE, ECW, and all over, Al Snow. Actually, this guy also might be one of the only guys to get his doll banned from Walmart, Al. <laughs> I actually was reminded about this yeah. the other day. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I'm still on the list of, I believe it's 20, 27 things that Walmart refuses to sell as it is endangerment to society, and I'm number five on that list. I was beat out by uh, pregnant Barbie. Uh, she's number one. That's not an easy I, list to crash yeah, into. No, it's not. You know, it's not. And, you know, when you really think about it, I mean, you can still, I believe, go find an assault rifle and ammunition <laughs> to dismember your, you know, victim if you want, but God help you if you get my action figure, that will be a training manual for future spouse abusers. Oh my God. That's tremendous. I forgot all about that. Al, on a personal note, I want to actually thank you for coming up with the collar and elbow clothing line. I worked for 10 years. I was trained by Adrian Street and I'm 6'3 and about 280 pounds. And to have clothing that I can wear that is comfortable and still fashionable at the same time, I appreciate that. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. I, you know, I owe a lot of that to my partner Rod and, and really our designer, Dean Whitaker. He's, he's the real, he's the magic in the sauce. He's amazing. He, He's so great at, you know, coming up with designs that 
kind of, if you're a wrestling fan, you get it. And if you're not a wrestling fan, you just go, oh, that's cool. I really like that. And you don't even, you know, you don't know what it's about or anything. You were trained by a gentleman named Jim Lancaster. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Yes. What was his background? I, I don't know much about Jim. Uh, Jim had started in the 70s and was pretty much a journeyman wrestler. You know, he pretty worked all the territories. He worked pretty much in the uh, mid-card. And when I met him in 81, he was just getting out of off the road full-time and was, you know, trying to start running his own shows. And he uh, wanted to get his own crew of guys that he could rely on and kind of, you know, make sure that they were where they needed to be because what motivated him to do that was he was running a show and Spike Huber, who was Dick the Bruiser's son-in-law, was pretty popular in the Midwest at the time. It was a pretty big baby face. Jim had promoted him for a show and then Dick pulled him at the last second without giving Jim the heads up and then was sending him to St. Louis. And, you know, Jim got upset about that and decided he'd just get his own crew of guys he could control and do something with himself. So... When I had first met Jim, I, you know, I tried to convince him to train me, and he wouldn't agree to do it. He had no interest, and then that's what changed, and that's how I was able to finally convince someone to train me, and, and that was where it began. Did wow. you did you go to the camp with Ole and Gene before or after that? Uh, before I went down for uh, wasn't a camp; it was a tryout. They called it down in Charlotte, which was basically just you know where they were going to blow guys up and stretch them and. And then, you know, if one guy would, you know, if anybody would survive, they would take them and, you know, see what they could do with them. And it was funny, uh, years later, I was riding with Sandy Scott in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, Sandy and I developed a really close relationship. And, you know, I told him the story about going down there. And there was one guy, and there was a young black guy that he had only had taken an interest in. He was the only guy that really kind of made it. And he had set him aside. And I was talking to Sandy, and Sandy brought up the fact that he remembered seeing Ole bring this kid into the local YMCA, because you got to understand back then, the only place you really worked out or trained was the YMCA. You know, wrestlers didn't have schools. Like, there's, there wasn't the proliferation of schools like there are now, because the business was so closed. So, you know, they would bring guys into the y, local YMCA, and I guess he lasted maybe two or three workouts, and then he never showed back up again after that. Was it these early experiences? Is that what drove you to what you do today, which is run um, arguably one of the best training facilities in the U.S. in OVW? You know, I guess it's just my love for the wrestling business. That's what drove me to, you know, want to pass it on and try to pass on the, the real essence of the art of professional wrestling. I think it's kind of being lost, like I said, with the proliferation of wrestling schools and the, the fact that these days anybody can basically just rent a building and you know regardless of their amount of experience they can and what type that's another thing what type of experience you know they can proclaim that they're a trainer and you know these young kids who have aspirations and hopes you know that someday they can become a, a superstar you know they they uh, come running and want to be trained they're basically brought into a ring and in about a matter of a week or two they're taught how to how to, what we call take a bump, which they think is about how to land when it's really how to control yourself physically. And then they're taught to hit the ropes and, you know, a couple wrestling moves and some spots, and then maybe a month later they're in their first match. And, you know, it's it's unfair to these prospective athletes, these young men and women, I feel, because they're not really being taught or have an understanding of what they're being taught or why they should, they should understand it or know it to really have a chance at being successful. 
you know, and I mean really, truly successful. You know, when you go to a place, a platform like WWE, you have such an incredible opportunity, regardless of what the popular conception is, when you walk out in that ring. That is 100% on you to make the most of that opportunity. That every time you go to that ring, it's an opportunity. And, you know, you can become the thing that people are tuning in every week to see. You can become the thing that people are buying a ticket to watch. And there's nothing anybody can do to stop that, and there's nothing anybody can do to help you do it either. You've got to you've got to be willing and be able to do it and understand how to do it on your own. Now, Al, I'm kind of curious, uh, all your years in wrestling and now uh, training, is there something you have a, a preference to, training or uh, performing? I don't really have, a, I, you know, of course I love to perform. I mean, there's nothing, no bigger rush in the world than to go out there and be in front of an audience and connect with them, you know, emotionally and, and get them to elicit a response and a reaction and tell a story and have them really emotionally connected and be involved in it. There's nothing like that. But it's very rewarding to, you know, train these young men and women, let them benefit from where you make your mistakes and, you know, watch them go on and succeed. It's a thrill. And I try to explain to them, every person that I train, and I, you know, I've been pretty prolific as far as training. I mean, I've, I have a lot of people that have went on to have very successful careers that I've trained. And I tell them all that, you know, their success is my success. You know, I'm never going to lie to them, I'm never going to mislead them. I'm never going to, you know, I'm always going to be honest with them. I'm going to set standards for them because when I was brought into the wrestling business, the people that brought you in were held personally accountable for everything you did. You know, to this day, some of the old timers, if they hear this interview and they don't like something that I said, they'll call Jim Lancaster and then Jim Lancaster's going to call me. And I'm going to have to explain because I'm a reflection on him. As long as I'm in this business, I'm a reflection on him. And his professional accomplishments. And, and, you know, back in the day, if you screwed up and you hurt business, well, then Jim would get blackballed. You know, he didn't get booked anymore because the heat would go on him because they would assume it's his responsibility to make sure that I didn't screw up like that. So I still hold that attitude to this day that these people are very much a representation of me and that they definitely unquestionably carry my reputation around with them. And so I'm going to do absolutely everything I can, even sometimes in spite of them, to ensure that they have the best possible chance to succeed, no matter what the degree is, and be a, a professional representation in the wrestling business. Uh, that's interesting. I think I actually did hear uh, one of the wrestlers one time said, uh, might have been Nash or someone that it was a Jody Hamilton guy, and it, uh, that actually opened some doors for him. They're like, oh no, no, he know he's polite. He knows the protocol. He's a Jody Hamilton guy. So that's right. Yeah, that'll open doors for you. And if and if it, and if you put out enough bad guys, it'll close doors too. Right. And I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna let that happen. I'm not gonna let people use my name. And then it close, it start closing doors because of them being irresponsible, you know. So now and to that end, that's why you know we. I apologize, but that to to that end, that's why we, you know, we've taken great time and effort and expense. Took us, it's taken us over a year to get accreditation by the you know state of Kentucky, their the uh, proprietary education office, as an actual accredited trade school. Oh you wow. Know? It was, it, it's an effort, you know, we're the first and only one in the world. And, wow. you know, that was all done so that we could not just teach these young men and women skills in the ring, but to teach them skills backstage too, so that it would give them 
even a better understanding of what it is they're doing in the ring and be better performers, but also to give them more assets uh, within the wrestling business and entertainment business and the broadcasting business to be able to, when their in-ring careers come to an end, to be able to pursue something else and have opportunities outside of the ring. Al, I'm sorry to interrupt. Now, like an old-timer sure. like myself, I'm, I, I'm not that old. I'm only 43, but someone who I'm obviously not going to return to the ring anytime soon if I wanted to come down there and learn to do the backstage stuff, do you have programs set up where somebody can come and actually learn the backstage by itself? Yes, yes, they can come and learn that. They still participate in the in-ring classes. They just don't physically participate in the in-ring classes. What they do is they sit and they take notes. It's so that that way you have a better understanding of what it is we're really selling as a, in wrestling and how you go about doing that so that when you're backstage and you're either producing or you're directing or you're running a camera or you're doing lighting or you're doing writing, you have a feel, a sense, an understanding of what the product is and how to best approach it and sell it so that it comes across and makes a complete picture. Kind of hard if you've never driven a, you've never driven a car, you've never sat in a seat, you've never, been, you've never experienced that feeling, it's very hard for you to be a car salesman. Successful car salesman. Just that simple. You've never drank a beer. How are you going to go around and be a beer distributor? You know what I mean? It's, right. it's hard to sell an experience if you've never properly done it. Now, you can do it. There are lots of people today that do it, but they don't. There's a certain essence to it that you need to feel and understand to really, really get it across. And that way, the more you can grasp that, the more successful you are even backstage. Plus, it's interesting, too, because, like, you're giving these guys training on everything, and if you think about it, like, how many times, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, obviously, but how many times has an announcer unexpectedly ended up being a part of an angle or something? Like, you're almost kind of preparing people for the unexpected, possibly, too, it seems sure. like. And there's nothing, and listen, everything is possible in wrestling. Every time, you know, that it's, it's a matter of the right thing at the right time for the right reason, and it could create a, a completely different opportunity that creates a completely different doorway for a, your career to expand exponentially, you know, or for you to fail miserably. You know, think of the wrestlers, especially in recent years, like even I myself, you know, myself and Taz made that transition to being commentators. And then think of all the, you know, Corey Graves and all these other ones that have made that transition into being commentators and now have careers doing that. You know, you walk in the door with those skills already in your back pocket, then when opportunities present themselves, you can capitalize on them and still have a career outside of the ring. So you're giving them the best tool that they could have, which is preparation. Yes, preparation and the benefit of having instructors who have actual experience. Because I've said this a hundred times, and I'll say it to uh, I'm blue in the face. Having an access to information does not equate to having knowledge over a subject. I hate to break it to all everyone that's on the internet, but you can access as much information as you want about any topic you want, and that does not make you an expert on it. Having information and then the commensurate amount of experience, even bad experience where you screwed up, gives you knowledge, gives you an understanding on a level that just acquiring the information through a book does not. Well, that's funny. Actually, I was saying to someone the other day, almost any job I've ever had in my life, too, when I was training to do something, I felt I've learned more through messing up a lot of times. Like, oh, I'm not going to do that again. And you learn more sometimes, too. 
Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You, it's no different than when you're, you know, you have kids and you tell the kid over and over again, don't touch the stove, it's hot, don't touch the stove, it's hot. And sometimes you gotta let them touch the stove, it ain't gonna kill them, so they can understand and have a relationship to the term, what is hot and what, what it means because of your warning, that it's now dangerous because it kind of stung, it hurt them. Al, that's excellent points. I think that anybody who's been in the business for any amount of times at this point realizes that there's no school out there that's actually better than the one that you're running. All you have to do is look at the athletes that have come out of it and look at your storied career to understand that. We were wondering if you had any stories from either early in your career or after your WWE run from when you worked on the indies for us. I got, I got plenty of stories. I mean, there's, always, there's always stories. I mean, good God. This business, that's, it got to a point that I got to where I started embracing the ridiculousness and the unusual and almost would be disappointed if I went to a booking and nothing happened. <laughs> and I would be disappointed, you know? I went, I went out for one of the guys who's kind of like a protege of mine, Matt Yaden, who runs Rocky Mountain Pro and he's doing really well out there. And the first time I went out, it went out for like two, two shows and the first show I was like, you know, guys do great. I mean, you run a professional thing and, you know, I'm, I'm just really disappointed. He goes, why? I go, because I don't have any stories. Like, you don't have any, any, you know, eccentric or goofy people here. And he goes, ah, don't worry. I'll call, make a call. So he, you know, he calls this kid who shows up because he tells me that the kid believes that he's a ninja <laughs> and, um, and will tell you that he's, you know, trained as a ninja and all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, I can't wait to have a conversation with this guy. <laughs> so of course I immediately sit down and start talking to him and it doesn't, it takes a minute, but I'm listening to him tell my, his life story to me. And I suddenly realize, Hey, wait a minute. This sounds familiar. And he keeps talking and then it hits me. He's telling me the screenplay to a 1980s movie called American Ninja. Oh, <laughs> the entire screenplay is his life story. Oh, oh my God. And I'm like, this is fantastic. So <laughs> later, I see him over there and he's doing like katas and he's, he's opened the door. We, and this is a uh, hockey arena. So the walls are made of cinder blocks. So he's over there and he's got the door open and he's swinging his, he's, <sighs> he's doing like a, a karate chop at the door frame, the concrete block. And I'm like, watching him do it a couple times. I go, you can break concrete blocks with your hand. He goes, oh yeah, yeah, I've done it before. I go, really? He's like, yeah. I go, well, you gotta show me. I mean, come on, man, you gotta show me. So he lines up and he just, all of a sudden you just hear, <laughs> he hits his hand and it does <laughs> He could tell it hurt, and he goes, I go, what happened? It didn't break. He goes, oh, I was not focused. I go, well, you got to focus, man. You got to pull yourself together and, you know, see if you can do it again. So this guy, listen, nobody ever should listen to me. So he, gets, he now really, he opens the door further and puts it, he steps back. Now he's going to really put some stank on it. Mm -hmm. And he's really, yeah. ah. I don't know how he's not hyperventilating while he's doing it because he's breathing so deep, you know, deeply. He finally lets go and you just hear this crack 
and his hand looks all misshapen, oh. uh, bottom two fingers, <laughs> and he just walks over real quick and picks up his phone and starts touching it, playing with it, but you can see the other two fingers are sticking out. He literally broke his hand trying oh. to prove that he could. And I'm like, what happened? They didn't break. And he's like, oh, you know, sometimes, you know, I just can't focus. And I said, oh, I understand that. That happens all the time. So. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you broke the American ninja. <laughs> I didn't. He broke himself. Yeah, that's true. It was facilitate Al, that's actually kind of an interesting segue for me because I love pro wrestling, but uh, I'm also uh, an MMA fan over the last few years, too. A buddy of mine was telling me that you actually uh, talked about doing some underground fighting uh, in your book. And I was just wondering how oh, that came yeah. about. And, like, do you have some, uh, a particular martial arts experience that you know? And I trained in jiu-jitsu and I trained in kempo karate and... You know, plus I've got about three or four other belts that I bought at JC Penney's. They mean nothing. <laughs> Unless you keep up with the training, it's not like, you know, it's any other skill. But, uh, you know, I'm not real proud of it, but I had, at the time I had opened up my school in Ohio and was taking a ring down to every Monday night, this bar would run like a tough man contest. So they would, I'd bring my ring down there. I'd set it up by myself and I'd hang out. One of the bar owners also ran basically like garage fights and you know found out as a wrestler was like hey would you like to make some extra money and explained it to me and so you know the first night i went and i basically was had done some boxing but not a lot and you know didn't fare too well took a lot of punches <laughs> lost that one and then it just so happened that where i had my wrestling school in the front of the building was an old boxing gym and a very old trainer named mr anchors was a wonderful old guy he uh and a guy by the name of Mr. Bazell, who was used to, he would spar with Muhammad Ali. They were trainers up there, and so I went up and I would, you know, when, during the day when I didn't have anybody in the wrestling school, I would go up and spend time with them, and they started showing me how to slip punches and things like that. And so the next time I, you know, kind of did, you know, did a little better, not getting hit as much, hitting more, and then I thought, well, screw this, and I just duck under and I dropped behind the guy and, you know, choked him out. That took place in an uproar because, you know, I didn't really realize there were rules, but apparently I thought there were no rules, but then it was, people were hot, but they were also excited and it was something different because at that time, you know, MMA wasn't a big thing. And as a result, they wanted me to come back. So I'd done a couple more of those kinds of things and it went on for a few fights and then a couple brothers got upset and confronted me at the bar one night and we got into a, a situation and that didn't go well, and I was like, you know, enough of this. I'm done with it. So that's why I say, you know, real fights suck. Uh, the work fights, you know, wrestling, it's so much more fun. So. <laughs> we were talking before uh, with some other interviews about creative seems to come up a lot. John Moxley had recently done an interview with Jericho where, you know, he had basically said he was very thankful for his time in WWE. And, but, you know, he talked about one of the main issues he had was with creative. You had a lot of different characters. I'm just curious, like... Any, not to, no, we're not trying to make you bury anybody, but like, you know, creatively, what are some maybe things you didn't like or did like? Uh, the, only, the only issue I ever had was that nobody ever really spoke to me. Uh, nobody ever talked, and that was partly, and I admit to it, I talk about it in my book, that, you know, it was also my fault because I never asked questions. You know, I should have a lot of times in a lot of situations where instances came to them and go, hey, okay, what is it we're doing? Why are we doing this? What are you wanting out of it? Where, what direction are we going? Things like that. But I literally would show up at TV and I never knew what was happening. Nobody ever spoke to me. Nobody ever contacted me. You know, I remember doing some pre-tape 
with Hunter and Stephanie and Hunter alluding to, you know, this is an opportunity for a spot or something with a before a cage match with Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy was involved and Marlena and and I'm thinking, what the fuck are you talking about? You know what I mean? I had I had no idea. And then I find out later, years later, there was a rumor that I was being considered for a spot in DX and I'm like, Nobody told me. <laughs> no. I had a thing where I showed up and they just you know, you're gonna walk down, you know, with a Vince McMahon suit on and a, his rubber mask on, you're gonna go to the ring and I'm like, Okay. You know, and Vince is gonna come out and ball shot you and I'm like, All right and <laughs> you know, again, my fault, I should have stopped and went, Hey, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? But nobody called me on the phone, nobody discussed anything with me. You know, they just literally threw me in places and made, you know, and had me doing things. And and again, I take the responsibility for not asking it, but you know, everybody brings up characters and stuff that I did, but a large part of that was that they were trying to find a voice, a character, something you could describe me with that would connect with the audience. And you know, like everybody does the avatar, talks about the avatar, and that was my fault. You know, if I knew then what I know now, I could have utilized that and made that more successful, but at that time, I had spent 14, 15 years as a heel and being a smart-ass uh, chicken shit heel, and now all of a sudden I'm thrust into a situation where I'm supposed to be a babyface, but not, you know, carry a mask out, but then put it on, then wrestle with it, then take it back off. And that's all the direction you're given, you know? And it's up to you then to make the most of that and create something out of it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's on 100% on you. And, and I know things have changed up there now where they are, have more of a direct hand. I think they overproduce the talent, but I know that's because they don't feel confident that the talent are understand what it is they're really out there to try to do. And I do understand that the reason they don't is because that's not being taught anymore. The talent are, are now performing like, oh, I, you know, I just got to go out there and have a really good match. And that's, that's not it. You've got to go have a really good match. You have to have a good, ma a good match that motivates people to want to see you again. And that's a different mindset. That's a different approach. You can have the greatest match in the history of wrestling. Nobody paid to see it. What does it matter? Hmm. You know? Or if you had, a, you had it in a building that seats 5,000 people, and let's say 5,000 people showed up to see that greatest match in the history of wrestling, and then next month, you showed back up and only 800 people showed up, then how great was that wrestling match? Oh, exactly. The purpose, the sole reason, the absolute pure existence of a wrestler is to do one thing, and that is to use that time in the ring to motivate someone to leave their home, the comfort, security, and safety of their home, drive to a building, pay money to park, to pay money to get in the building, to sit in a seat that you don't want to sit in. Let's face it, guys, you don't want to sit in those seats. They're the shit. Hmm. And you want to sit around people you don't want to sit around and pay for food you don't want to eat to watch that guy do his job. Oh, 100%, Al. And I can tell you that we were both fans going back, like we said, to Smoky Mountain. And to watch you explode the way you did coming out of the ECW arena and make the most out of a mannequin head absolutely phenomenal the way you connected with the audience whether it was just i don't know you you just had that connection with people that made all of us get up on our feet and cheer so you definitely did thank you yeah so you definitely put our asses in the seats i can tell you that well it took a lot of years and a lot of mistakes and even once i had gotten something like that still trying to understand what it was i had and 
be able to capitalize on it, which, you know, if I had understood more, and again, if I knew more, knew as much as I do now, based on my experiences, as I would have been, I could have capitalized on a lot more of those opportunities that were given to me, and I could have made much more of it than what I did. So, but I'm not complaining. I, you know, I haven't done as much as some, but I've done a lot more than many, and I've lasted a lot longer than most. So, we appreciate everything that you even giving us some time this week. I don't want to run, keep you too long. So, just one more thing before we have you promote anything. Sure. Doing a holiday episode coming up for Thanksgiving, so we've been asking a lot of guests. Is there anything uh, you're thankful for? Well, I'm thankful for my wife and my family. Can't be thankful enough for them. That's the truth. I mean, I'm really blessed to have them and thankful for my health. I'm thankful that I have gotten to be a professional wrestler for as long as I've gotten to be it and to do the things that I love to do as long as I've gotten to do it. And now I get to OWW and help young men and women try to go out and do the same things that they you know, want to do. Is there anything you want to promote, Al? Oh, God, lots of things. <laughs> um, <laughs> my book's out there. You can get it on Amazon. It's called Self-Help. I wanted to call it uh, How to Take Crap and Make Shoe Polish and Other Life Lessons <laughs> I Learned from Wrestling, but the publisher didn't want to do that, so they decided to call it Self-Help. You can read even more ridiculous stories like a three-hour car ride with six midgets that involved almost one of them dying and me getting banned from IHOP and different taser stories where I got people tasered. One that everybody likes is where uh, some, a promoter and his son were tag team champions and rode, had cowboy gimmick and they rode horses to the ring and the ensuing ridiculousness would happen from that. It was pretty funny. And uh, OV Wrestling, ovwrestling.com, Ohio Valley Wrestling. That's OVW. If you guys have an interest, you can go on YouTube. We are live every Tuesday night on WBNA Channel 21 here locally in Louisville, and we're live every Tuesday night on YouTube. You just got to go OVW TV on YouTube, and you can watch it live with the rest of everybody else. And ASWA.live is the certified state accredited uh, trade school, which is in association with OVW. If you want to go and find more information about that. If you want to follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, it's The Real Al Snow. I do have the check marks and all of that now, but before I had to call myself The Real Al Snow because there were some fakes, mm. and I would actually message them and go, look, I don't mind you doing this, but if you're gonna fake being a celebrity, don't you think you should a, put the bar a little higher? I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm not going to take, I'm not even going to take me. so why would you? That's perfect, Al. I appreciate it, man. You've been very kind. I can't say it enough, man. We appreciate it a lot. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you guys for giving me the time. I really, I appreciate you guys, you know, keeping me alive and keeping me relevant out there. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 